1: have to tailor that because yeah. it just cuts right off. You're listening to the March 31st, 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. I'm Amy Peekoff. Joining me here in the room is cartoonist Bosch Faustin. And I see that a number of people are rolling into the chat room just as we're starting the show this evening. Good evening, everyone. I see Rob.
0: Hello, and Lauren.
1: And Low Lauren, I believe, is a new listener. Welcome to our chat room. We have Stuart. Selfishness, John, Freedom Breeze. I think Freedom Breeze was the first in. Does she win a prize for that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, welcome everyone. We have a lot lined up to discuss today. If you go over to the blog at DontLetItGo.com, you can see the program notes, which means the links to all the stories, etc., that we would like to discuss here this evening. So again, go to go. Dot com. For those of you who are new listening to this show, Don't Let It Go Unheard is named after an essay entitled Don't Let It Go, written by Ayn Rand, in which she argues that the American sense of life, the uniquely American sense of life, has been protecting us, in effect, from totalitarian dictatorship, and that if we are actually going to keep preventing a dictatorship in this country that we're going to have to take the implicit philosophy of America behind that American sense of life, and we're going to have to make it explicit. What we do on this show is we talk about that explicit philosophy, which is Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism, and we show you it is unique in really justifying, defending the right to the pursuit of happiness. The right to the pursuit of happiness is the thing that makes this country unique. So... In any of it that's what we do here introducing myself thank you for joining us this evening if you would like to talk about any of the stories that we have planned to discuss you can call us the number to call is 760-888-5817 again that's 760-888-5817 and of course you can chime in here in the chat room so welcome we are back to like I said we're going to do a Tuesday Friday schedule and see how that goes I had my little webinar this uh, this afternoon with the people who are taking Eben Pagan's Wake Up Productive with me. So I've got a busy day on Tuesdays now, but I still think in terms of the show, this is the right way to go. So let's dive in. The first story is one that just made the top of Drudge as I was putting together the set of links for the show today. It's from the New York Times and the headline again published today is Obama's strategy on climate change part of global deal is revealed. And if you read the article in essence it says a few things. First that Obama plans to commit us to drastically cut our use of fossil fuels. And he's talking about Cutting it by somewhere between 25 and 28 percent, cut our emissions between 20 oh, excuse me 26 to 28 percent whatever you know niggling here by the year 2025 ten years from now. And China, on the other hand, they're going to drop, but the New York Times doesn't tell us by how much they're going to cut emissions. It doesn't even say how much. It's going to be less, Sir, of course, right? Well,
0: they say they will cut emissions.
1: Oh, they say they will, right? They will, but. but it won't happen until after 2030. Now does this sound familiar? We're going to disarm our nuclear weapons. We'll go first and then other people will. Yep. Unilateral disarmament. Now we're supposed to have unilateral poverty and misery at the hands of Obama. Now even more frightening than this now and and the pattern is all over the world China is the one that they talk about at the beginning of the article but there are other countries that are also supposed to be promising to cut emissions as well and all of them are late coming to the table with their proposal the one who's coming out and being the quote leader Mm -hmm. you know again the one who is just walking us right off and over the cliff to commit suicide is of course Barack Obama And, as you know, because, I mean, we think, we assume, everybody assumes that the Republican Senate and House would never sign any of this into law, Obama plans to do this entirely by executive order. And they are convinced that even if a Republican administration happens to win in 2016, even if that Republican administration tries to repeal some of this, some of Obama's what they're calling climate change legacy would remain. So he plans to push this through by hook or by crook in a way that's even worse than the Obamacare that he shoved down our throats, right? You know, get passed by, you know, breaking all the rules, very narrow, you know, margin in the House and the Senate. This doesn't even involve that. This just involves the pen and the phone. And again, drastic cuts in emissions up to one-third by a mere 10 years from now. Now, what about the so-called opposition to this from Republicans? The New York Times does quote Mitch McConnell, right? And apparently he says that even if, you know, we were to commit to this, he says it's not even possible for us to actually get this done, Uh, Whereas, you know, it's funny, some of these climate change people, there's some guy who is the president, excuse me, vice president for climate change policy at the World Wildlife Fund. He says, the U.S. must actually do more than just deliver on this pledge. The 28% domestic target can and must be a floor, not a ceiling. I mean, imagine with the winter that so many people in this country just had and the dependence that we have on fossil fuels to keep us comfortable and in some cases actually keep us alive from freezing to death. But no, let's go ahead and just cut our emissions and therefore our consumption by a huge amount. All that can do is mean drastic increase in cost, drastic decrease in consumption, and a drastic decrease in the quality and the length of human life. And that's what these people are calling for. And something that you can call the New York Times out on is the kind of adjectives that they use in this piece. So, for example, um, they talk about, you know, planet warming carbon dioxide emissions, you know, uh, from and then uh, from the nation's cars and coal fire power, uh, power plants, et cetera. Um, speedy time, but, but still, you know, planet warming, carbon dioxide emissions. So it's just, it, it's, yeah. So it's just assumed that these carbon dioxide emissions that come from our cars and our coal-fired power plants are significant in that scale, enough to be throwing the adjective in here in the article, in the New York Times. So um, let's hope that the Republicans actually do try. To bring up some leadership, there is one legislator who's mentioned by name from Missouri in the piece, and he's introducing legislation to actually, um, you know, kind of annihilate the entire accord. His name is Senator Roy Blunt. He's a Republican from Missouri, and it says he's put together legislation that's going to nullify this international climate change agreement and it says Republican leaders might try to add this as an amendment to some must-pass piece of legislation like a critical spending measure or something. But do you think Obama's going to give up on this?
0: No, he's committed to to destroying us. Yeah. It's part of that.
1: You know, um, it was funny because there was an article, and, and you sent it to me, and it didn't make the cut actually this week because we just have so much to talk about, but it was how the people in Hollywood – that they would actually vote Republican if they knew how much yes. they paid in taxes, yes. and that is actually not true. That's not true. Well, and I mean, think about this, right? Well, this some
0: actors are, you know, self-destructive. Suicidal.
1: No, yes. exactly. And and this is the thing: Will people vote their pocketbooks, books, or will they vote their morality? Yes. And And own Brook has said time and again, and I think it's true that even if people's pocketbook they suffer. May, they're they, going to vote their morality. They may realize and Obama... That that's immoral. Obama
0: they, may, they might realize that's immoral what they're taking from me. You know I mean? They might yes. even they might come to the, to those terms, possibly.
1: It'd be nice if they did think that way, but so many of those
0: True. liberals and This in Hollywood, thing is a moral act that Obama's proposing. To the left, this is immorality.
1: In lieu
0: of morality, this is immorality.
1: So the idea that he's going to, quote, compromise and sign a you know, some sort of spending measure and give up on his ideal of destroying the American economy via banning coal plants and all this kind of stuff.
0: There's no other... I mean, that's the end result, so that, therefore that's the motive.
1: Pen and phone, unilaterally, shutting coal plants, Working, destroying people's lives across the country. Teaming
0: up with the world against yeah. America. I mean, he's their vessel. You know, America isn't... I mean, sorry, the world isn't the White House. The world is in the White House via Barack Obama.
1: Now, if you you go over to the blog at DontLetItGo.com, just below the link to that article, and again, the headline for that article is Obama's Strategy on Climate Change, Part of Global Deal, is Revealed. And then right below that, I have the antidote, which is Alex Epstein's book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Consuming fossil fuels, you know, again, and we played that clip last week of Senator Ted Cruz talking about the fact that he didn't believe that there was any significant global warming to the extent of taking the type of drastic measures that Obama proposes to do unilaterally by pen and phone. And I really like the fact that Ted Cruz says, you know, destroying the livelihood of Americans, which is what's going to happen with this type of deal, is not anything to be taken lightly. I mean, this is really Obama. Doing an après moi le déluge, you know, so to speak. He's going to be out of office. He's set for life. We're all going to pay for, you know, the Secret Service guards and his pension so he can go live in a gorgeous house on Hawaii with his wife and his daughters and the blah, blah, blah. And what in the hell does he care? Obama, I mean, excuse me, uh, Hawaii's climate is so mild. That, you know, how expensive the fossil fuels are and everything, and everyone's free. He doesn't care. He is going to think he's gone down in history as done, you know, doing the, quote, moral thing.
0: What was the, McConnell's argument?
1: Oh, McConnell? No, McConnell just says... We couldn't do this even if yeah. we could commit to you know, it or he something. He still gives
0: him the benefit of doubt. Still yeah. He still doesn't know that he's out to get
1: it. No, I mean, basically it's that whole issue of, yes, Ob- he's giving Obama the moral high ground yeah. and just saying, well, this isn't really practical. Yeah. And what Ted Cruz is saying is he's saying, no, I'm not going to give you the moral high ground. But what I would like is if Ted Cruz, again, and we talked about this last week, do what Alex Epstein does, which is that maybe there is some warming because of the human consumption of fossil fuels. Nonetheless, the standard by which we, de- we, you know, we judge all of this is how are we improving the environment for human beings? And the environment for human beings is vastly better if we continue to consume fossil fuels than if we drastically cut them or even cut them to any extent. We should just continue to use them. And of course, as time has gone on, we have learned how to consume and use fossil fuels in a way that's cleaner anyway. This is just part of the way that human beings improve the environment around us. So, uh, you know, this idea of these kind of cuts, it is draconian in in the literal sense. <sighs> Next article that I want to talk about. Let's take this. Ah, sip of tea, right? <laughs> I just, I, I can't believe that the, the the damage that this guy is trying to inflict on us in his well, last so, two years of office. Again,
0: just the, still, the Republicans don't see him as the evil president that he is. They still don't understand what they're dealing with. That's how pathetic they are. No. Whether they're in denial, whether they're just stupid, uh, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. They still don't get what he's up to.
1: Right. And here's another person who doesn't get what Obama's up to. It's Tim Cook over at Apple, and he's got an op-ed over at the Washington Post this week about the new law in Indiana, and I guess they've also passed but not yet signed a new law in Arkansas that is similar. Pro-discrimination, quote, religious freedom laws are dangerous, and as I understand the law that has been passed and signed into law in Indiana and the one that's been passed but not yet signed in Arkansas says that a an individual or a company can cite their personal religious beliefs, and i'm actually quoting from the Washington Post here to refuse service to a customer or resist a state non discrimination law, so in effect, what it does is you can go ahead and discriminate, and of course the you know really main example in the of the cases in which religious people today would like to be able to discriminate is discrimination against homosexuals and homosexual couples, yeah. marriages in particular. Uh, you know, the the paradigm example is someone has a bakery where they bake wedding cakes and a gay couple comes in and says, I would like, you know, a cake for our wedding and the baker doesn't believe in gay marriage and says no i would not like to bake this cake and supposedly the law is going to make the baker bake the they cake.
0: basically want to take the rights away from the baker he has no right to object whatsoever
1: yep. whether we
0: agree or disagree that's not the point yeah. he has no right to discriminate right that's the idea
1: right and and the other type of discrimination that might come up is for example um suppose you're an employer and you offer benefits to married couples but you would not like to offer employee benefits for married couples for homosexual married couples. Suppose you just don't want to do that and laws have in the past you know non-discrimination laws would say no a married couple is a married couple is a married couple and if the state deems them to be lawfully married then you need to give them the same benefits as any other married couple Laws like the one signed in Indiana would go ahead and allow allow discrimination in that case. And this is the type of law that Tim Cook is against. Tim Cook also
0: brings up uh, some horrific laws like Jim Crow. He tries to equate that with Jim Crow.
1: Yeah, he says basically if you you do this, it smacks Jim Crow. It's stupid. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a couple different issues here. I mean, one is... The issue of government actually itself reinforcing yeah. and entrenching discrimination. Here, the government is merely allowing discrimination well, to occur it's like it's, and not itself enforcing discrimination. There's such
0: an origin now of government and businesses that yeah. they're trying to call the shots at every turn now. And you've got a guy like Tim Cook and others who are trying to force that issue. They want to force people to do things that they don't want to do because they think that that's a better society, and it's pathetic.
1: Now, Freedom Breeze in the chat room is making a point along the lines of one that I personally would like to make here. She says it's more government intervening in the economy, but this goes one step further, mixing state and religion. Now, let's tell you exactly what they're doing. Right here, they're saying, I mean, first of all, I believe anti-discrimination laws are immoral but follow me here I think discrimination for reasons of race and sex and you know uh, sexual orientation all of this that that sort of discrimination is irrational and therefore immoral Mm -hmm. so I would not discriminate on the basis of race or sex or sexual orientation um, they're actually left free to discriminate. There's some discrimination I would do on the basis of religion, um, be, basically Muslims only, yeah. um, because I think that there's some danger with respect to some Muslims. So I would certainly do some if if due Muslim, diligence.
0: If a woman in a, um, in a if a woman in a burka comes up to me, I want you to draw Muhammad in the most beautiful way possible. Even though we're not supposed to draw Muhammad, you, you're gonna do it, right? No, to hell with you, get out. You know, there were some people who want her to force me to draw that. You know, it's, it's, it's really, it's just, it's absolute, it's anti-freedom laws. I mean, you have, we, have right. the, we have the right to discriminate. You like it or not. And that's the whole thing. Hey, Tim Cook, you like it or not. That's just the way it is.
1: Right.
0: And then he says, we don't discriminate here in Apple. And then someone points out, well, you do business with Saudi Arabia, who, who not only discriminates against homosexuals and women and blacks and whatnot, they killed them. They murder them for religious reasons, and you're in business with them. You don't right. care about that clearly, right, right. He has no you know objection to that yeah,
1: so all all of this you know the discrimination and particularly the discrimination against homosexual couples, I think it is immoral I'm actually myself in favor of gay marriage, okay. Nonetheless, I think people should be free to discriminate and then let the free market decide. Absolutely. Let, let,
0: let them so pay the price let, there is a price to pay. Let
1: Tim Cook write his op-ed, but let's have the op-ed say something different. Let's have the op-ed say that we should boycott all of these businesses yeah. who discriminate Instead against homosexuals. right? To. Or let's, let's have Tim Cook say, we at Apple refuse to sell our products and our technology yep. to companies that discriminate against homosexual couples. And How to, ca- about that?
0: And to How countries about that? like Saudi Arabia. Right. Like other dictatorships. Yeah. You know just take them out. Oh, you don't yeah. want to do that. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's just it's to really no. that. Let's
1: let's be let's be consistent here. But no, I would I would much rather see people who have, you know, some sort of influence over the culture, who actually have companies that are successful, whose products mean something to somebody, to go ahead and take a principled stand on this. So, for example, John Allison, when he was CEO of BB&T, at one point said that they would not finance any deal that involved government eminent domain. Wonderful. Yeah, excellent. Do stuff like that, okay? But here, what he's doing is he's saying, You know, no people should still be subject to these anti-discrimination laws. Now, let me tell you one way in which I strongly oppose these freedom to discriminate laws that are popping up in these different states. And it is this. Why is it that only religious people should be free to be irrational and discriminate unfairly against homosexuals and whoever else that they want to discriminate against. Um, Why can't someone who is secular also be free to discriminate? So I don't like the idea of singling out only religious beliefs as the ground for being free from onerous right. immoral government regulation. That's where I strongly disagree. So that's, that's the only reason I would freedom, agree with that. Uh, religious
0: freedom, religious freedom. How about how no. about, how about freedom?
1: How about just freedom about for everybody? Freedom
0: for all yeah. individuals.
1: Yeah.
0: You want to discriminate, you pay a price for it, just deal with it. You have the right to do it.
1: Yeah. So I would I would love, you know, to ask a Senator Ted Cruz is like yes I do believe people who are religious should not be forced to do things that are against their religious beliefs, but then why not just free everything up? And, you know, I, I understand, you know, you try to get what little extra freedom that you can for whoever you can, but it really does become an issue of factioning us into little pressure groups. And I certainly don't like the idea that, People who are religious get special favors over those of us who, yeah. who are atheists. Which but, you is, know, again,
0: I, Muslims get those.
1: I think the discrimination is immoral. I would never do it. But nonetheless, I think everybody should have the right to do it huh. and face the consequences on the free market, religious, non-religious, everybody alike. Freedom Breeze says, I heard that there are some people who are saying that they won't do business in Indiana now at all due to this new state and now, um,
0: law. Also, it's going to be interesting to see yeah, how
1: it plays out.
0: Uh, philosophers like Charles Barkley all said, uh, take out the Indiana sports teams out of there. Take the I mean, you've got to reject them. And it's just like, okay, okay, great.
1: Yeah, and you'll hold everybody in Indiana yeah, accountable exactly. for it. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, all the, if people all around the world – what held all of us accountable for Barack Obama? What would happen? Yep. Yeah. So you can't hold everybody in Indiana accountable for what the Indiana lawmakers do. But again, this this idea and it's increasingly happening in, you know, in Washington D.C., Ted Cruz was co-sponsor of a couple pieces of legislation trying to carve out religious freedom to discriminate in essence in a couple different realms. And yes, I agree that they should be free, but I don't think that you should draw these lines on on religious grounds. So that's really that's really the danger here. Uh, George Takei leads the boycott Indiana campaign. Yeah, and you know a friend of mine. I mean, not a good close friend, but somebody I used to see regularly at dog agility trials. Greg Luganis. I understand he went out to Indiana in order to protest this. Um, but I, I would love to see them all. Do it on principled grounds, right. you know. Say, say, why is it that you're trying to carve out a special exception just for religious people? Right. Why not allow secular people to be irrational yeah, as I mean, well? Come on, let us
0: be rational too. Come on, right. give us our own law.
1: Right, we we want it. <sighs> How many businesses have activity in China? Jake asks. He says they're not the most gay-friendly nation. No, and only re- not, not only
0: North only,
1: only recent only. I mean, China is. Just horrible. Only recently are they actually allowing couples to have more than one child, if they choose. I heard a story the other day, uh, and it, I mean, I'm sure this is typical in in China. Women will hide a pregnancy as long as they possibly can, and there are stories of the Chinese government finding out that a woman was pregnant, you know, much later in the pregnancy, right? Because the woman was able to successfully hide it up to say like eight months or so. And they would actually force an abortion on a woman in China. Now, I am in favor of a right to an abortion, but I am, of course, super strongly opposed. I mean, oh my God. It's horrific. It is horrific to force an abortion on a woman, but that's what they do in China. But yeah, keep doing business in China.
0: But I do is on all stories, some reports, some studies, somewhere where they say basically babies have no moral value. You can kill them too, you can abort them after the fact. And these kind of stories, these kind of people, um, this is just—it goes beyond
1: post-birth abortions. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: you know, and and they actually use a term. I believe in an article is I read where you can kill them because they're morally irrelevant. I think morally irrelevant, living, breathing, healthy babies out of the womb after the fact.
1: <sighs> unbelievable! Truly unbelievable. Now, we're going to do a follow up on a story that we talked about last week, which was the pilot, Andreas Lubitz, who crashed, deliberately crashed the German wings Airbus into the mountain, which killed himself, of course, and 149 people.
0: One second, I just want to be clear. I mean, I, just, uh, I said that people have said he's Muslim, but those stories have been debunked to some extent.
1: Yeah, so there's, just, there's, you know, there's been no evidence He was
0: crazy, he was yeah. sick. He was evil.
1: But here, here's the big issue, and, and thanks to Tom Bowden for sending me this story today, by the way. It says, uh, a week after they said that Andreas Lubitz was, quote, 100% fit to fly, Lufthansa admits he told them of a serious depressive episode while training. This puts responsibility for the 149 lost souls on them. By the way, I'm reading from a Daily Beast article. Go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com, for links to all these stories that we're looking at. Says Andreas Lubitz did not conceal his, quote, episode of severe depression from his airline, as had been previously reported. In fact, Lufthansa now admits that he disclosed it. This shifts responsibility away from him into the mountain and off to his employers. Um, In a carefully worded statement, Lufthansa says that in 2009, Lubitz emailed his flight training school and submitted medical documents, quote, in connection with resuming his flight training about a, quote, previous episode of mental depression. It still remains unclear when and for how long this problem lasted, but it was already known that he joined the airline's training program in 2008, and at some point between then and when he was allowed to become a co-pilot in 2013, he had taken leave because he was suffering a bout of depression. And here at the Daily Beast, they're saying it doesn't really matter when he had the problem. It was disclosed to the flying school that in spite of his candor, he was allowed to resume his training. as examiners did not think it serious enough to warrant either further medical examination or to question his suitability for graduating to the co-pilot's position on German wings. Lufthansa's statement admits, quote, thereafter the co-pilot received the medical certificate confirming his fitness to fly. They said that he had been cleared 100% fit to fly without caveats. Um, But now there's evidence from German investigators who searched both of his homes and found that he had torn up recent medical leave certificates that had he revealed them would have shown him unfit to fly. Rufthansa says it has submitted his medical records from the flying school to the prosecutor. But what, the, what are the consequences of the revelation? It says the deep German aversion to the disclosure of personal medical histories, which is reinforced by law, has ended up building a shield, unable to distinguish between people whose medical and psychological problems do not involve a career in which they are responsible for the lives of hundreds and others, hundreds of others and those like Lubitz who can become undetected by the system, a serious threat. So it sounds like if a psychologist knows that they have a patient who is going to be piloting an airplane and they know that this person has a serious depressive disorder, that I would say they should have a legal duty yeah. to report this directly.
0: Because he's endangering yeah. lives.
1: Not just Give him a medical leave note and leave it up to him go to decide there, whether to submit it.
0: Go to the airlines, go to the company, tell them this guy's unfit. I mean, we, we, you cannot put people's lives under his under his in his hands. Also, his girlfriend. Uh, she said something where he was warning her, telling her he's gonna do something big. He's gonna change things to some unforgettable and maybe even unforgivable or something. So he he was he was telling people, more or less. I mean, he told his girlfriend and she didn't say anything and do anything. And then she said after the fact, oh, yeah, now I see. Oh, now you see. Okay.
1: But, I mean, do not do you agree with this, that the usual kind of patient psychologist yeah. privilege, that that should be yeah, revoked in a case where... Yeah, because in his
0: hands. Yeah. And you could, you, you know, in good conscience, you say, well... He'll be flying people who knows what he'll do there. And look what he ended up doing. Flew a plane to mountains. I mean, deliberately. Evil. Sick twist, they want to call it. Yeah, it's evil. Because he he was conscious enough where he could ride that plane. He could fly that plane. He deliberately did it.
1: Now, the difficult legal question then has to do with, for example, would you say that the psychologist should be permitted to disclose in this case? that the psychologist should be required to disclose in this kind of case? How would you draw up the objective standard for that? And then if they disclose, then I guess it would be up to the employer's discretion to decide, and right. then they would have legal liability. At least
0: to let them know directly, say, this guy is really troubled. Right. I doubt he can you know, be responsible flying that plane. Especially with those those many lives at stake, even if it was one life at stake, if you was flying someone in an individual plane, a small plane, um, I don't know. So they they knew.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, basically, I w- I would say that you would at least give them permission. And then the question is, when would you say that there is some sort of a duty to disclose? I think it would be very difficult. Um, yeah, Freedom Breeze says it's interesting that. German culture has an aversion to publicizing medical records, likely a hangover from the Hitler era. Yeah, it was perhaps
0: something um, I brought up recently, and it was my notes for the infidel years ago. Uh, Post 9/11, it was revealed. I read, I read a story where German Germany was having allowing open terrorist groups operating in their country, and that comes from Nelson Nazism, where the point was they are unable to judge. Anything and anything and anyone as evil because they were part of this most right, horrific right. thing possible. So,
1: I mean, the the other element here too is there are so many people today who talk about you know privacy as a freestanding right. We have a quote right to privacy, and as a sort of shorthand or kind of loose way to describe it, that seems okay. But what happens in something like this is where you've enshrined the quote right to privacy of a psychology excuse me, a psychologist yeah. patient, right? Or psychiatrist patient. And you enshrine that right to privacy as trumping right. the right of everybody else to not right, have right to not have their lives in the hands of someone like this. So I actually think that there is no primary right to privacy. Um, you cannot have a right to privacy uh-huh. where you're basically sitting there telling somebody that you are, in effect, a severe, substantial danger yeah. to a whole bunch of people. So they've, I think they've got to have some sort of a caveat that, you know, right to privacy, but if you are in a profession where you are in, if
0: you're potentially dangerous.
1: Well, yeah, if, if you're in a position to, you know, with a moment's lapse of no judgment, right. kill all of these
0: yeah. people. What you did.
1: I mean, how many minutes did it you take know, you for him? You have no to
0: right to keep that you know, to yourself. I mean, that that person had no right to keep it to themselves.
1: But, I mean, agree with me that it would be pretty difficult to figure out exactly how to craft that
0: no, law. No that about it. Would it, would it be but that they have a duty to disclose? They have...
1: People permission to disclose
0: were murdered. Yeah. So I imagine now they're thinking about something that they can't allow this to ever happen again, at least that way.
1: Right. Right.
0: I mean, you think about the lives. You think about the loved ones. My goodness. Wow.
1: Now, devastating. Um, I believe you showed me, or at least I think I saw around on social media this week. There was a cartoon by Brant. Is that one of the cartoonists? The political cartoonists I don't know. and it was basically that Obama is at the in the cockpit of the plane that mm. is america and Branco. Branco, Branco Branco he's the one who did it yes. and we, the people, yes. were knocking. On the door, trying to get in, so that he doesn't. So here, he, first of all,
0: He's flying America. The, the, not, the yeah. climate
1: change strategy that we talked about at the top of the hour is the first way in which Obama Broo-broo. is, in effect, crashing the plane that is America yep. into the Alps. Right. Here,
0: Everything the, is doing.
1: The second way is this so-called deal with Iran, and we and we talked about this some last week. But here it is. It's you know over in Europe right now. It's already the first. Of April, it's April Fool's Day, and we're the fool yep. because the day deadline, the so-called deadline, is passed. One of the headlines that I saw on Dredge today was, "Oh, how about June?" So apparently, they've pushed some key deadline to June. At the last minute, it seems oh, we're so surprised that Iran has done a little bait and switch. I've got a free Beacon article over at the blog, and the headline is, "Iran refuses to give up." Core nuke materials.
0: As if they have a right to.
1: Yeah. So Iran is refusing. A dictatorship. To, yeah. Iran. killed
0: Americans. Who's kidnapped Americans? I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. Iran is refusing to relinquish its stockpiles of enriched nuclear materials, throwing a potential complication into negotiations that are set to expire tomorrow. According to senior State Department officials and Iranian diplomats, Iran rejected on Monday ongoing demands by Western powers that it export to Russia (laughs) – what a safe place – its stockpiles of enriched uranium, the key component in a nuclear bomb. The issue has emerged as a sticking point in talks over the last day, with Iran now rejecting any potential compromise on this front – the State Department said that the issue has been up in the air for months, according to a source close to negotiations. It says, quote, The export of stocks of enriched uranium is not in our program, and we do not intend sending them abroad, says Abbas Arachi, an Iranian negotiator and diplomat, etc. Now, there was a story that I saw going around, and then the, the headline disappeared. It was one of those disappearing dredge mm-hmm. headlines, and it was that there is a key... I don't know if it's an imam or no. It's a military yeah. um, advisor, right, or N- somebody?
0: a negotiator. Negotiator.
1: And he has said that there is not he just defected.
0: not. He defected. He left. Oh. yeah, yeah. He he, did, he defected. He, he left.
1: De- he defected he because.
0: Did. And then he said basically that I think he said that we are being a mouthpiece for Iran, America.
1: Oh, that's one. Yeah. Okay. okay, but the, but but then the other thing that I saw oh, is yeah, that there yeah. was a commander. An, a, a, a ma- yeah, a Commander in Iran said that another thing that is not negotiable yeah. to them, because you know, giving up the enriched uranium yeah. is apparently now not negotiable. The other thing that is not negotiable to them apparently is destroying Israel. Yes, destroying is,
0: Israel, is it's got to happen. You think about and our, we're sitting our there talking to these people. We're talking to these people. They've yeah. killed Americans. They've kidnapped mm-hmm. Americans. They are the greatest state sponsor terrorism on earth. We say we don't we don't negotiate with terrorists. They are negotiating with a country that is the greatest state sponsor terrorism on earth. And we're supposed to deal with them when they say death to America and the de- destruction of Israel is non negotiable. Right. We're supposed to sit there and take this. Why? Because we have a suicidal, you know, well actually, actually he he's not suicidal, he's just a nihilist. He wants to kill us, but you know he wants to he wants to survive his plans. I mean, Obama wants to live it up. Right. You know, destroy America and live it up for the rest of my life. That's that was his dream. He's not a suicide bomber in essence. I mean he wants to live. Play golf watch America go down. But I just, death to America, the, the destruction of Israel, oh, we can work with these guys. We can work with, yeah, we could you know, there's something there. The editor... They're
1: calling the shots. No, it's insane. The editors at TheObserver.com have this opinion editorial from the editors there. Uh, headline, President Obama must not complete a disastrous deal with Iran. And they say, forget Churchill... Obama isn't even measuring up to Neville Chamberlain. They say, with the U.S. on the brink of signing the agreement, blah, blah, blah. Um, It says, the observer urges Obama not to place his personal hunger for a legacy issue ahead of his most solemn duty protecting America's national security.
0: There's a presumption there that Obama is open to... Talking to thinking things through,
1: right.
0: the idea that he is not doing what he's doing for sheer destructive purposes. There's still an assumption there, like, well, don't do this, President Obama. What you should do is this. Look what he's doing. And who's going to call him on it? Some, you know, some, some of us basically. The media is all in. They think this is dramatic somehow. There's a deal with Iran. What well, does it mean and, for us? Well, and and here's and
1: here's what they say. They're saying Neville Chamberlain who did this horrible Munich pact with Hitler in nineteen thirty eight, he was acting sincerely. Well he was
0: a sincere idiot. Exactly. You know.
1: And they say, quote, in sharp contrast, Mr. Obama is acting out of personal aggrandizement. Now at least they didn't say selfishness because yeah, it is it that. is it is certainly not selfish for any human being to basically sign a suicide pact. Uh, with iran or to help iran in any way shape or form that would not be selfish but personal aggrandizement okay fine Uh, who it is that thinks obama is better because he's doing this pact i have no idea but you guys all deserve each other
0: yes
1: they say he believes he is replicating president richard nixon historic opening of china (sighs)
0: Opening of a, a terrorist state.
1: Yeah, China, who's now says, "Okay, you guys cut your fossil fuel consumption first, and then we'll go afterwards."
0: Haha. I, I think they're trying to compete with Iran and see who hates America more—the Obama administration or Iran. I think that's what this whole thing is for. I think and so. And then you know, in front of us, they're trying to do something else, but they say, "Who really hates America? Let's prove it." You know?
1: I mean, talk about having the lowest place in history ever. Because you know, Obama' his place in history is because of. So called Obamacare. Yeah. Now he wants to destroy us in the cause of so called climate change. And yeah. then he wants to make this nuclear wants, arms deal with Iran. Basically ensure, he, ensure that ensure, Iran yes. gets a nuclear weapon.
0: Ensure that one of our greatest enemies, one of the greatest threats to civilization, gets nukes. Yeah. Death to America. This is their this is their theme song. This is what they this is what mm-hmm. defines them. Death to America. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, the only one who is talking plain sense on this issue is somebody who has changed his tune, apparently, from back in 2012 when we heard him speak. This is John Bolton, former U.N. Ambassador John Bolton, writing in the opinion pages of New York Times, March 26th, to stop Iran's bomb, bomb Iran, he says. Now, I remember we were at a fundraising event when I think he was contemplating... He was maybe going to run, but then he was sort of helping Romney or something was going on. And he said, I remember he said this, he said basically with Iran that it's already too late, and that, in effect, we would have to treat them like we do Pakistan, where, you know, they have nukes, and you just kind of pretend to sort of be their friend, but you placate them. We haven't been at a
0: direct war with with Pakistan directly, even though we should have been, especially after we found out of some yeah. was but there. the whole They're
1: idea is they have yeah. nukes. So, so you got to live with it. So he basically was saying we were in that position with Iran, but now he seems to be saying, no, we should bomb Iran. So I don't Good. know if he's learned but something. I, I
0: wish, but I don't, I'm I'm not sure if he acknowledged the fact that he didn't think that before. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we get a general area and bomb them to smithereens.
1: He says as in other nuclear proliferation cases like India, mm-hmm. Pakistan sorry, and me. North Korea.
0: I mean sorry, one second just we are here sitting down with these savages and discussing terms and they're telling us uh 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 we won't go there, right. we're setting terms when what we should be doing is bombing them. We should be killing the mullahs. Yep, kill them. Yep, yep. Instead, we're sitting with them as if they're human beings. Yep. Nope. Nope. And by the way, um, uh, John Kerry, uh, Bo Toxenstein, he said, "What did he say?" He goes, "Inshallah." He actually used an Islamic term to yeah. say, no. "You know, he- this is a." Uh, I mean, it's it's just, it's a real... It's it's sickening, really. It's sickening, really. I call it the Islamic State Department. That's the John Kerry's... that's, That's what it should be called, the Islamic State Department.
1: I love what he says. He says, all presidents enter office facing the cumulative effects of their predecessors' decisions, but each is responsible for what happens on his watch. President Obama's approach on Iran has brought a bad situation to the brink of catastrophe. And then he goes on through... Uh, how all the sanctions have not done anything really to stop them. And then he says, even absent palpable proof, like a nuclear test, Iran's steady progress towards nuclear weapons has long been evident. Now the arms race has begun. Neighboring countries are moving forward, driven by fears that Mr. Obama's diplomacy is fostering a nuclear Iran. And you- Saudi Arabia yes. is expected to move forward. And first. let me say something.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, this could be the massive plan. I mean, it's 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 really sick, though, you think about it, but Obama's thinking, oh, good, they'll get nukes too. Yeah, We'll we'll be all on a level playing field. Free countries and terrorist countries, we're all the same.
1: Analysts are apparently predicting that Saudi Arabia can obtain the weapons from Pakistan, which means basically they'll get them overnight. Egypt and Turkey, both with imperial legacies and modern aspirations, would maybe be right behind. And then he says, ironically, perhaps Israel's nuclear weapons have not triggered an arms race. Other states in the region understood, as if they couldn't admit it publicly, that Israel's nukes were intended as a deterrent, not as an offensive measure. Iran, he says, is a different story.
0: That's that's one one more thing, the enemies of Israel. If you think Israel is as bad as you believe they are, they would have nuked their neighbors left and right. They would have nuked them, all their enemies, Mm -hmm. idiots.
1: The former Saudi intelligence chief is saying recently that, quote, whatever comes out of these talks, we will want the same. He says if Iran has the ability to enrich uranium to whatever level, it's not just Saudi Arabia that's going to ask for that. So everyone over there is going to want the same thing. Uh, The Saudis apparently just hosted meetings, says Bolton, with leaders of Pakistan, Egypt, and Turkey nuclear matters were almost certainly on the agenda. He said, now he says the gold standard now in everywhere is now in jeopardy because the president's policy is empowering Iran. Whether diplomacy and sanctions would ever have worked against the hardliners running Iran is unlikely. But aban- he says, but abandoning the red line on weapons-grade fuel drawn originally by the Europeans in 2003 by the U.N. Security Council in several resolutions has alarmed the Middle East and it has handed a permit to Iran's nuclear weapons establishment. An inescapable conclusion, he says, is that they will not negotiate away their nuclear program, nor will sanctions block its building a broad and deep weapons infrastructure. He says, time is terribly short, he says, but a strike against them, a military strike, can still succeed. Rendering inoperable the Natanz and Fordow uranium enrichment installations and the Iraq heavy water, production, excuse me, heavy water production facility and reactor would be priority. So he's basically laying out what you could do with a strike. Um, he says the United States could do a thorough job of destruction, but Israel alone can do what's necessary. Such action should be combined with vigorous American support for Iran's opposition Aimed at regime change, she's calling for in Iran. It's
0: all right, but it's fantasy uh, with those in power. It's a, it, this is a, The right thing yeah. to do is an absolute fantasy today.
1: Yeah. He says the president's biggest legacy could be a thoroughly nuclear weaponized Middle East.
0: And that, I mean, you think about it. If that's what it ends up being, then he knows well enough that it was on purpose. Yep. To, you know, it's like. You know, it's not nuking the Middle East, it's giving them letting let them have nukes. Because what we need is uh terrorist states to have nuclear weapons. That's that's the that would mean peace.
1: Now some people in the chat room are recommending Elon as he's been filling in for your own brook this week. Right here on Blog Talk Radio, you can search for the Your own Brook Show. And you can hear Elon Journo who specializes in foreign policy. Issues for the Ayn Rand Institute. Particularly, he's uh, well educated on the Middle East. He has been studying and specializing on you know, Middle East foreign policy for quite a while now. So I do recommend it. Check it out. Um,
0: Read his 2006 piece, uh, "The Jihad on the The Jihad on America."
1: You know, if if actually, of course, Obama, Hillary Clinton, when she was at the State Department. Could have had the expertise of someone like Alain Journal but they would not want to see no. the truth.
0: Yes. Yeah. They're rational. Not at all. They're destructive. They hate America. Uh,
1: speaking of State Department, Ms. Hillary Clinton, let's go ahead to the next story. Again, this made the topic drudge today. The Benghazi panel in the House summons Hillary Clinton. They actually want to have Hillary Clinton appear. They have formally requested Hillary Clinton to testify about the private server and email account that she used while serving as Secretary of State. Representative Trey Gowdy, chairman of the Select Committee on Benghazi, sent a request to Clinton's personal attorney requesting that she appear before the committee no later than May 1st for a transcribed interview about the server and email. It comes after Kendall told Gowdy that the server had been wiped clean and that it would be impossible to recover the 30,000 emails that Clinton deleted last year. Now, there was a political piece saying they're deleted, but they're not gone forever, so somebody could get them. Um, What I heard was that at the time that these emails were supposedly being deleted, they were under subpoena at the time that they were wiping them. (sighs) Gowdy said to uh, Kendall, he says he, he asked Clinton to reconsider the refusal to turn over the server, which he called, quote, highly unusual, if not unprecedented.
0: But, but what does it matter? She's the first female president, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't matter.
1: You know, again, we've talked about this on the show before, and you can tell she's up to no good because, you know, she because was... She's
0: speaking?
1: <laughs> because she's speaking. Every time she's speaking. But, you know, she was asked, you know, to turn over emails. And what she decided is she would handpick the emails that she would turn over. And then she bragged about the fact that she has... Turned over an unprecedented mm-hmm. amount of email to give you a window on the daily life of a high level government official you know that.
0: and and I remember
1: remember she slid the phrase president, president Clinton,
0: Clinton into Not my the husband, discussion of, president Clinton well no she yeah yeah, yeah
1: exactly because yeah, she, she she, she wanted it. she wants you to hear what that sounded like yeah. coming out you know president, president Clinton, Clinton right mm-hmm. um but so how did she turn over these emails to the State Department to, you know, release to the public and give us a window in on the life of the high level government official? She turned over fifty five thousand printed pages of email.
0: Also, what we're concerned with is Translation, the Translation
1: impossible to yeah.
0: search. Also, we're it's very it's in a life of an important diplomat. That's the purpose of getting those emails. Oh, right? yeah.
1: yeah Yeah, we really I and you know, specific. every one of those 55,000 pages makes her look wonderful and doesn't say anything substantive about any of the Benghazi stuff, right? so She Tens of thousands of emails she and her aides are the only ones who saw them. She, you know, deletes them wipes the server, right?
0: She has a Muslim uh, right-hand woman yeah. who's in bed with the Muslim Brotherhood. On um, top of that,
1: but you know the the technique of turning over these fifty-five thousand printed pages is exactly what she did with Hillary Care when she, you know, put this so-called piece of legislation before the Senate. She handed over to them thousands of pages of printed document with no page numbers. To make it impossible to go through, this woman—it's like the person who gets audited by the IRS and just has like a box of receipts and just says, "Here, have a nice day." Yeah. That's what she has done to the American people. She has basically lifted her middle finger at us, and we're supposed to elect her president. Which and I now
0: did. now she she also also revealed that she has a number of devices. I think five different devices, not just the one right. device for emails. She has an iPad, iPad Mini, computer, phone, BlackBerry.
1: Right. There's another article actually right below that if you want to go and and grab it at don'tletitgo.com, and uh, you know she talks about you know let me know if you got a reply for my iPad. So this yeah. idea that she wanted only one uh-huh. device is is ridiculous. Um, next story is
0: we, we have like
1: yeah that. we only have a few minutes here. Uh, next story you want to check out is Tammy Bruce's piece from this week. It's called Lifting the Covers on Obama Google. And in essence, what Tammy reveals is the cronyism between Google and the Obama administration. And it talks about the fact that when Google was getting very chummy, for example, the chairman of Google actually worked behind the scenes at the Obama campaign in 2012, helping them develop some turnout, the vote. Software. And of course, there was a whole bunch of donations that came from Google employees to Obama's campaign and everything. And it turned out that during that time, what would have been an antitrust suit against Google apparently, mm-hmm. there had been a meeting, and I think they had voted like 5 to nothing. They wanted to go ahead and pursue Google and antitrust. It all, all just went sudden, away. Yeah. Suddenly all just went away. So there's a great graphic. You can check it out and, and Tammy's got all the details. But um the the graphic looks like a Google search with the guy, I guess Schmidt or whatever his name from Google and, and Obama. They're smiling and then in the search engine it says cronyism, which is perfect. Yeah. Cronyism, not crony capitalism yeah. but cronyism. So that's, that's so right. well done, Washington Times and Tammy Bruce on that one. There's a similar themed article that I again have. I have over there at don'tletitgo.com, and it is um, uh, Google controls what we buy, the news we read, and Obama's policies. So they got to be exempt from antitrust. I've got a few pieces over there of you know basically compare and contrast your candidates for 2016. First we have Jeb Bush. Arguably somebody who people might consider to be a front-runner right now, or what? Uh,
0: I don't think so. I don't know on what I think basis. Jeb Bush thinks so. <laughs> his name is Jeb Bush, by the way. It's Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush. <laughs> Jeb Bush.
1: He sucks. It says uh, his education foundation is offering online courses promoting the Common Core. Of course. Now, a headline before, it said that Jeb Bush himself is promoting, but he has an education foundation... It's offering courses that promote the Common Core. He is an apologist for federal government takeover of Common yes, Core. Is. Now, you had said, who else? What other candidates are? I
0: believe uh, Walker, even though Walker has pretended that pretended that's not. He's pretending he doesn't believe what he believes for certain things now, which is bad for him because you, just be honest. Yeah. You know, he is for certain things for immigration that, that conservatives don't like. He is. I think. I believe for Common Core, those are the stories. Those. It seems like it's that's.
1: As far as I as far as I've read, what he's doing with Common Core right now is that he wants to retain the state's adoption of Common Core, and yet give the local school districts within the state flexibility and not really have to adopt it. So how exactly that's going to work, I have no dang idea because the whole point of common core right again, I can tell you the chronology here. There was the no child left behind enactment by uh, under <laughs> under George W Bush and that was way back in 2001 and what came attached to the federal money were all these strings that they were supposed to perform well on these standardized tests as they came up to 2013 or so. Very strange noise in my ears right now. Anyway, um, as they were getting closer and closer to 2013, 2014, it became apparent that the states were not going to be able to meet these demands. And that's when Obama took the opportunity to say, hey, states, if you agree to these Common Core requirements, you know, this whole federally mandated, not mandated, but, you know, federally controlled curriculum, Uh, it's not a mandate, but you can keep the money under the No Child Left Behind Act, the money that you're now addicted to, if you just adopt what we're getting you to adopt. And this is the sort of federal government control of education. You know, government should have no place in education at all. We should get it entirely out. But here they are. This is the latest major takeover. And Jeb Bush, one of the leading candidates of the party of smaller government, supposedly, is out there promoting promoting this federal government takeover of education. Uh, furthermore, there is some material quoting Jeb Bush, who says that he is nervous about criticism of the NSA, and he thinks that Obama should defend the NSA. Now He's
0: nervous, not about what the NSA was up to, not what they're up to now but about criticism against the NSA.
1: Yeah. So here's somebody who, you know, 1984, okay, good, as long as I'm big brother, yeah, this is awesome. Also,
0: supporting Obama, come on, Obama, defend yourself, go out there.
1: A couple of good pieces of news we're going to leave you with about Ted Cruz. First is a story from Breitbart just reporting that when Cruz went to this Um, It's called Young Americans Foundation Conference that was in Nashua, New Hampshire this past weekend. Cruz actually laid out three policy proposals that he would do to replace Obamacare. And all of them have to do with basically opening the market making it freer. Um, So first of all, he said, let's allow people to buy insurance across state lines. You know, imagine that you could actually buy your insurance across straight lines. So this is all pro-freedom. Number two, he says we need to expand health savings accounts. Now, this you could maybe argue against because it's, in effect, using a tax code to encourage people to spend their money one way or another. You know, here, open these health savings accounts. And he actually has proposed in other places to abolish the IRS completely in which case, I don't think there'd be a place for a health savings account. I mean, I don't know if he's got it on his little postcard that you can do this, right? Um, but still, the idea of letting people keep more of their own money and decide how to spend it on health care, that is nice. That's the good part of health savings account. And then he says, number three, let's de-link health insurance from employment. De-link. Now, exactly what he means by that. He's going to have to spell it out a little bit more. Is it that employers could not offer health insurance? I doubt he's going to say that, but that you could still purchase your health insurance separately? Okay, yeah, let's go ahead and allow people to do that. Let's not have employers get certain tax benefits from giving you health insurance, which is the way that this all started. So it sounds like free market options. Uh, The best part of him Going to the Young Americans Foundation conference this weekend was that he was not intimidated into canceling his appearance there, and he was under some significant pressure to pull out of that event by Care, the so-called what is it called Council for American Islamic, Islamic Relations, r- relations a, or a something?
0: Civil Rights Group, it's a yeah. Muslim Brotherhood fund group, right? They're the enemy, and they and they were pressuring him to leave. why, because Robert Spencer, the head of jihad watch, was speaking at this event
1: right, and Ted Cruz went ahead and appeared there, and yeah. apparently did a good job yeah.
0: and I, mean, I, I love it because all, all the indications are out. that
1: he is way better. another
0: politician probably would have pulled out, so I I won't be next to oh the, freedom
1: Freedom breeze is asking what about getting rid of the mandate to purchase insurance now remember the the You know, the premise of what I just read you, those three proposals from Ted Cruz, they're saying, what would you do after you repeal, after you repeal every single word of Obamacare? And what he would do are those three things after. So, yes, of course, the mandate would be completely gone. Yes. Uh, Just Jean says, I especially like number three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have to see how those policies flesh out if they're gonna be truly 100% free market proposals, or he's gonna keep still some strings attached yeah. to them. But it sounds like it's a significant step in the right direction. If you say you're gonna repeal Obamacare and all you're gonna do is replace with those things, uh, it would it would be wonderful. Anyway, that's all the time we have, everyone. We appreciate you hanging out here tonight. Thanks
0: for listening.
1: Um, A lot of people participating here in the chat room would do definitely appreciate it. I'm sorry,
0: I didn't interrupt enough. I was a little uh, (laughs) under the weather today.
1: Yeah, Bosch has got a cold.
0: So uh, I didn't interrupt enough. I apologize. So
1: on Friday, can you make up for it? Definitely. Okay, definitely. Definitely. Everyone, we're going to be back Friday again, 8 p.m. Pacific time, 11 p.m. Eastern time, right here, same channel as you call it, at Blog Talk Radio. In the meantime, go over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. Feel free to share the show with your friends if you like it. Become a show supporter. Thank you to all of you who have been sending in donations. Thank you. Uh, several people have signed on to become monthly supporters, which we really think we really is awesome it. and appreciate, the uh, the Butter Coffee Fund. <laughs> Thank you. Um, take care, everyone. Have a good night, and Thanks we will long. talk to you Friday. See you Friday.